You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Walking through the book of Genesis and we get to the life of Abram. Um, He's Abram now. He'll be Abram, Abraham later, spoiler alert. Um, but he's Abram now, and so we get to his life, and uh, we started off this series seeing him be a man of great faith, that God told him, pack up everything you've got and go. And Abram doesn't ask any questions. He just simply does it. Um, and we, so we saw his great faith there. And then last week we looked at his selflessness and letting Lot choose the land, that he gave Lot that first choice to pick the better land that Lot ended up taking and that we saw that in our lives as Christians, we should be marked with lives of selflessness. This week, we get to a passage um, that I think a lot of times, uh, if, if you weren't determined to go through all of it, you might skip this section because this is the stuff that we don't necessarily teach in kids' church. It's just not like the, the normal thing, but it's really good stuff. So I want to spend some time here and, and unpack these verses. So we're going to pick up in uh, Genesis chapter 14. And we're going to pick up in verse 17. It says, after his return from the defeat of Ketelamer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought him bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal or strap or anything that is yours, lest lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the, the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre take their share." There's kind of two stories here. Uh, The first is Melchizedek. This is a name that is, you might have heard it before, but it's not talked about a whole lot because this is the only appearance of Melchizedek we have in Scripture. This is the only time the person of Melchizedek enters the scene and he comes in and he blesses Abram and then he's gone. And that's kind of like the, he's kind of mysterious in and of himself in that in that moment. We have no record of his birth, no record of his death, just that he was the first person that's been called a priest, which is interesting because traditionally priests come from the line of Levi, who is Abram's descendant. So we haven't even started the line of priests yet. And here we have a priest. So we see The name Melchizedek, though, we see it come up again in the book of Hebrews in chapter 7. And so I want to look there because it's going to explain a lot. Hebrews does a fantastic job explaining this almost simply. I I think today I'm mostly going to be reading scripture because it's kind of self-explanatory. Hebrews does a great job of explaining things to us that are kind of hard to grasp. It's like we know that story of Melchizedek. You don't really understand it, so I'm going to tell it to you now. So we're going to pick up in uh, Hebrews chapter 7 in verse 1. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abram, Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. 
And to him, Abraham apportioned, uh, apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. So, we see, so how great this man was to, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. Though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descendant has have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the case of tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case by whom by one of whom it is testified that he lives, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So Melchizedek here, we see expounded on in the book of Hebrews, that this is a man who does not have beginning and end of days. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean that he was not born or did not die. It just means that it wasn't recorded. It means that it, they didn't write it down, which was very important for Levitical priests. Levitical priests, it was almost your qualifications that you had to have been born from this line and your birth date and when you died was very important so that they could keep up with who was a priest and when. But Melchizedek didn't have that. He's not from the line of Levi because Levi hadn't even been born yet. And so we have this man who has no record of birth, has no record of death. And so you can't say, well, his, his priesthood ended at this day because we don't know when he died. So that's why it says that his priesthood continues forever which is such a parallel to Jesus. That Jesus, who is not from the tribe of Levi, that's part of why Melchizedek is important, is because Jesus is from the line of Judah. So this is partially to give credit to Jesus and his appointment as great high priest. That he is our high priest acting on our behalf, and he doesn't have to be from the line of Levi because Melchizedek wasn't from the line of Levi. And also, like Melchizedek, his priesthood continues forever. Jesus has no beginning and no end and will reign as our great high priest forever. Amen? That's good news. It also mentions that you cannot be blessed by someone who is inferior to you. I thought that was a really interesting choice of words. I thought that was a really interesting concept. This is this whole part of Hebrews, the whole, a big chunk of Hebrews is dedicated to telling Jews, no, 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 Jesus is better. I know what you think. I know you think Moses is great. Melchizedek is great. Abraham's great. The angels are great. But let me tell you, Jesus is better is a theme that runs through the book of Hebrews. So here to establish even how great Melchizedek is, is to say Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. Because Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek. And you can't be blessed by someone who is inferior to you. 
So therefore, Melchizedek is even more superior to Abraham, and Jesus is even superior to Melchizedek. And so we see this parallel between Melchizedek, who is just mentioned in four or five verses in Scripture, but he has such powerful connotations in their culture, and then even for us in, in the priesthood and what that means that Jesus has taken his place. I want to pick up in verse 22 of that same chapter, uh, chapter 7 of Hebrews. It says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost of those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from others, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Because a priest, a priest stands between you and God. That was their role. Their role was they, they were the intercessors. They were the ones who were able to atone for your sins, that you brought the sacrifice to them, and they were the ones who were able to offer it to God. They were the only ones allowed to enter the holy of holies that normal people couldn't even get to the presence of God. And you needed a priest in order to do that. But we don't do that anymore. I'm, that's why I'm not a called a priest. Is that there is no more need for that. You have the same access to God that I do. I'm not like, you don't need to come to me to then go to God. You can pray any time. And Jesus is your great high priest who is all present, continuing to reign, standing with the Father, interceding on your behalf. So that you don't need some guy who also sins, who's not perfect, to try to do that for you. You have the one who lived perfect, who is perfectly able to continue to do that forever. Forever. Human priests were so limited, just as humans, because they were imperfect, they were bound to earth, and they would eventually die. Jesus, on the other hand, lived perfectly, had the power to pay the sacrifice himself once for all. And he's not limited by death. He conquered that for us too. So while human priests, you had so many of them because they died, like it said in Hebrews, Jesus is the one who continues forever. So we see Melchizedek come to Abram here in Genesis 14. And this is a parallel to Jesus coming for us. This is a way that God was preparing for Jesus. He was even here starting the process. And he's like, I'm going to put Melchizedek here because later you're going to need to see a priest who is not from the line of Levi. You're going to need to see a priest who had no beginning and no end. 
so that you can understand the concept of Jesus who has no beginning and no end. And he is our great high priest who reigns forever. I want to continue in Genesis. We're going to pick up in in chapter 15. We're going to read all of chapter 15. It's a lot. I probably won't say it all right. I'm a terrible reader, so just forgive me if I stumble through this. But I think it's important for us to read all of this because it's all important. And then we're going to unpack it and talk about what it all said. So Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward the heaven, and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. I want to pause here for a second. You guys see the stars pretty well. Out here in Oglethorpe, we're a little bit in the country. It's not like if you live closer to Atlanta or if you lived in Athens and you look up and you're like, oh, I can see a couple stars. I I will never forget one of the first nights I came and I was meeting with the uh, personnel team for the first time. And it was um, winter, the time had changed, um, and it was, or maybe it was, uh, whenever. It was really dark outside, that's what I'm trying to say. By the time we finished the meeting, it was really dark outside. And I will never forget walking out in the parking lot here and looking up, and you could just see so many stars. Just a crazy amount of stars. And I can't imagine in this time before they had all the stuff that messes up the, the view of the night sky for us, before you had, you know, cars and headlights and the streetlights and skyscrapers and everything that, that muddies up the, the darkness of the sky, I can't imagine what it looked like here for Abraham. When God says, I want you to go outside, I want you to look at the stars. I'm like, I wonder if he started trying to count. He's like, one, two, I'm done. Like, this is just too many. You know, like there's so many stars and God comes to him and he says, that's what your offspring is going to be. You're going to have offspring. Just reassuring him. Let's pick back up in verse seven. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land you possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid out each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace." You shall be buried in a good old age. 
And they shall come back here in the 14th generation for the inquiry of the Amorites that is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on the day of the Lord, and on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, from the lands of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So we have this scene that is a long, kind of drawn out conversation between Abram and God, which part of me just wonders, what is that like to just have that conversation that feels like this, that you could just write it down? So Abram and God are having this conversation. And we see this thing that happens that, again, you might read it in your quiet time and go, wait, what? What just read? That doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what this is, what this is about. And it's not something we normally teach in kids' church. You know, you're not like, all right, kids, well, they took the animals, they ripped them in half, and they laid them out. Like, that's not a kid's story. Like, we're going to do an illustration for this. Like, they don't do that over there. Um, and so I, I think that a lot of times we just kind of skip over it. And we go, I don't understand what that is, and, and that's, that's a little bit weird. So I don't know. What happened is this is a way, this is a common way that people took big oaths. It's not just like, hey, I'm coming over to your house tomorrow. Well, prove it. Let's make an oath. You know, like, it's a, these were like big oaths that were commonly made, that this is the way it was done. And what would happen is that the two parties who were entering the oath would pass between the animals who were ripped in half. They would pass between them as if to say, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, may I end up like these animals? May I end up torn in two if I don't hold up my end of the bargain? So here's what's interesting is who do we see pass between the animals in this story? It's not Abram. It says it's a, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, which are it's the presence of God. These are images that represent the presence of God. So God and God pass between the animals, saying, Abram, this is not dependent on you. There's nothing on your end to hold up. This covenant, this oath that I'm giving you, you can count on because it doesn't depend on you. I think sometimes when we make promises, when we make oaths, we always leave a door cracked, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm going to be there. I mean, as long as something doesn't come up and, you know, I have to sometimes we like leave that door cracked and God didn't do that. He said, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you do, I am making this oath with you. And if I don't keep it, may I, the God of the universe, be torn in two. That's a powerful oath. That is why this covenant is referenced so much, because it is so powerful that God is declaring by himself, I will keep my word. It doesn't matter what you do. What's so cool to me is it's the same way that salvation works. That Jesus was beaten, he was crucified, and your salvation doesn't depend on you. It's done. 
Your salvation doesn't depend on your ability to follow God step by step and be perfect or holding up some end of the bargain. All salvation is, is, yeah, God, Jesus did that for me. That's it. That's it. That's what salvation is. Obedience does depend on you. Our ability to obey God does depend on you. But salvation itself does not depend on us. Isn't that a relief? That is a relief. Again, what's so cool about this is we just finished reading in Genesis about Melchizedek and the next verses in Genesis are about this covenant. Well, Hebrews also talks about this covenant. So I want to look at Hebrews chapter 6. This is verses 13 through 20 that Hebrews talks about this covenant and then it talks about Melchizedek. Just like in Genesis, it talks about Melchizedek and then about this covenant. So we're going to go back to Hebrews and it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise that the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of who? Melchizedek. We have this hope because what God said, he does. When God says he's going to do something, as it said here, it is impossible for him to lie. This oath that we see made with Abraham is a showcase of God's character that God doesn't change. He's never caught off guard. He's never had to figure out another plan. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his stance on issues. He doesn't forget you and he doesn't leave you. God is who he says he is. He always has been and he always will be. We change. Our understanding changes, our methods change, our technology changes, our music changes, our clothes change. How we meet as a church changes, our circumstances change, but God does not change. Even in the two covenants, we see God doesn't change because we see the oath he makes with Abram. We see Melchizedek, the evidence of the future promise, paving a way for Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice and great high priest before the old covenant was even created. Then God swears by himself, making a promise to Abraham. And we know thousands of years later that everything God promised to Abram was true. Our God is unchanging and his love for you won't change either. Amen. Let's pray.